This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. If you thought that cryptos was all about Bitcoin and perhaps a little bit of Ethereum, then think again. Just in the last few weeks, we've been introduced to something called non-fungible tokens or NFTs. What's that, you might be wondering? Well, just recently, someone paid $2.9 million for Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first tweet. What's the point of paying this much money for something anyone can see online for free? Jack Dorsey took the money and donated it to charity, but in another case, Mark Winkleman, the artist known as Beeple, made $69 million at Christie's when he sold a piece of digital art as an NFT. That makes him among the top three most valuable living artists, according to the auction house Christie's. Millions of people can view and download these pieces of digital art, but only one person can claim ownership of an NFT. The artist still retains copyright and reproduction rights, just as with physical art. Fungible, the word itself, means identical to. The rand or the US dollar is fungible since any one rand or one dollar is identical to any other. But there's only one Mona Lisa painting, and no matter how many convincing copies there are out there, there's only one original, and that makes it non-fungible. NFTs are opening up a world of opportunity for digital artists to get paid some decent money for their work. And yes, although people can download these images from the internet any number of times, there's only one person who can claim ownership of that image, provided they're prepared to pay for it. At the Blockchain Africa conference a week ago, this was one of many subjects discussed by speakers from around the world. Sonia Kurnel, who is organizer of the conference, joins us to discuss all that's fascinating and weird in the world of blockchain and cryptos. Hi, Sonia. I guess you're recovering still from the blockchain conference. and I mean, it was two days of intense download of information. And I guess people are wondering, one of the things that was raised was NFTs. Are they a joke or is this something that's going to become a real thing? And what's perhaps more interesting from a crypto investment point of view is that most of these NFTs are stored and transacted on the Ethereum blockchain. What's your take on this and will this become a thing? Hi, Karen. Yes, thank you for having me on MoneyWeb Crypto. It was a pleasure to have you involved at the Blockchain Africa Conference as well as a media sponsor. So thank you for coming on board. Um, look, NFTs is very exciting to me on a personal level. I still have a lot of catching up to do because it sort of hit the world by storm over a few months ago. So yes, we featured some of the discussions around NFTs at the event. Obviously not enough. We are sort of looking at um, talking about this more at our future events coming up further you know, in the year. But it's definitely, you know, the hottest trend in, in the cryptocurrency space this year. We saw last year the DeFi or the decentralized finance space was exploding. And, you know, before that in 2017, we saw the initial coin offerings or ICOs exploding onto the space. So we do see these things exploding onto the space and becoming very hot. But obviously, it's all very new. There are concerns that, you know, NFTs, you know, could potentially have some issues. It does use a lot of electricity is one of the things that people are saying. The downside is a massive electricity usage, um, but that could be temporary. You know, there are solutions looking at, you know, changing that. But I think the other thing is also that it's potentially hackable. So like an email, for example, or an online account. So as exciting as NFTs is, and I'm certainly watching it very closely, I think people need to understand that there are downsides to this as any new technology or any new thing that is built on cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Obviously, you need to be aware of what you're getting yourself into when you start looking at NFTs. But it's definitely a very hot commodity right now. It's something that's taken the world by storm. 
people are paying exorbitant amount of money, like you mentioned, Jack Dorsey and the artist Beeble selling his digital artwork for $69 million. You know, that's, that's quite something. So what's making it interesting, though, is, of course, that um, they are unique. So these digital art pieces are unique, but they are unlimited. So it's quite different to Bitcoin. You know, if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin is referred to as fungible and NFTs are non-fungible. So, you know, no two artworks, for example, are the same. Um, But they can also appreciate in value. So, you know, similar to real estate, they can appreciate in value and they are not unlimited. So it's not as necessarily scarce like Bitcoin is scarce with its limited supply of about 21 million Bitcoin. So very interesting space, definitely watching it very closely, and we'll definitely be talking a lot more about this at the events we host at Bitcoin Events in the future. It does seem like it's becoming the rare art type of, uh, this is something that is becoming a collectible for people in the digital space. And I think we're going to start seeing a very interesting market develop here is like Jack Dorsey's tweets, which was sold for $2.9 million. You know, are people going to be able to sell that later for a higher price? What's the value? I, I mean, I still haven't got my mind around it and whether this is, is a real and valid thing. But in the same way that people would collect, you know, physical art, there is a, a definitely a market for that. And people will start bidding these prices up, uh, I, I guess, at some point in the future. Do you see that happening? Yes, I do. You know, that artist Beeble, he came out and said he was actually prepared to pay more than $69 million. The buyer of the artwork, not Beeble himself, was actually saying that he was prepared to pay more than $69 million. And so, you know, why would you do that? Is it because it's, you know, one of the first digital arts that's available via NFT and obviously that makes it quite valuable? Or is he seeing sort of a future appreciation of the artwork because it's NFT? So I don't know. Um, I think obviously it's right now, it's maybe something that very wealthy people can afford. And, you know, we'll see in the future. But like I said, it's very early days for NFTs. Very exciting space. I see a lot more of this type of thing happening using cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance. So this is, you know, just the beginning. And um, yeah, it's very exciting, though, you know, something to watch closely. At the conference, there was quite a bit of discussion around decentralized finance or DeFi. And that's basically where people are lending, borrowing, earning interest on cryptos. And all of this is happening outside of the banking system. Were there some new developments in DeFi that surprised you at the conference? Yes, you know, we had um, the usual talks, um, you know, particularly Stanley Kulovajov, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the founder and CEO of Aave. Now, you know, they talked about what they're doing at Aave, and it's, it's obviously been around for some time. They're doing exceptionally well at Aave as well. Um, I think they've got about $5.5 billion in the Aave protocol currently, so they've had a tremendous growth. But what they do is really allowing people to earn interest on their crypto and using assets as collateral and borrowing other assets. So, you know, we've seen a lot of that lending and borrowing using the DeFi protocols. And a lot of these stable coins are obviously also driving these DeFi products. But what I found quite interesting was a talk from Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, he's the CEO and founder at FTX, one of the largest derivatives exchanges in the world. And his talk was very much about how they're using Serum for you know the decentralized financial ecosystem of the future. And it's, it's quite an ambitious project, and I haven't heard much of it in the past, so it was really great to have him at the conference and explain what they're doing. And you know what they're doing is they're saying Ethereum is not really built right now to handle 
a million transactions per second on the network. And he's quite skeptical of Ethereum actually getting to that stage. And he's saying, if you want to compete with the visas of the world, blockchain has to be able to handle a million transactions per second. And this has been a big topic in the community. You know, a lot of these blockchains are not scalable. They're not handling the transactions. You know, the speed is quite slow. So, you know, what they're aiming to do is uh, they've built a product called Solana. And they, they've got ambitious sort of aim is to basically empower a billion people to transact on-chain, so not even off-chain, but on-chain, on their blockchain, and to handle up to a million transactions per second. So that's very interesting. And, you know, what they've said is they need two things really to do this. They need to build their exchange, so a decentralized exchange on Serum, and they also need to enable borrow and lending of crypto assets. They're putting this together into one product. Uh, which is amazing because today in your centralized environment, you have a separate exchange and then you have a separate product like Aave offers. So these two different products, but they're actually building that into one product. Now, I see that as a very seamless, not disjointed sort of offering to people to get them into the DeFi space. Obviously, it's still quite technical. You know, there's a lot of uh, DeFi terms and a lot of education needed for people to understand what they're getting themselves into. But I think that is, was one of the, the talks that really stood out for me and what they're doing there. Another talk that surprised me was uh, Nathaniel Lutz. He's the lead at Dash Nigeria. And he was talking about he's seeing a return of crowdfunding using um, ICOs. And he's calling it the ICO 2.0. Now, as you probably know, Kieran, you know, ICOs was a massive crave craze in 2017, it did go bust. You know, there was a lot of concerns about um, its viability and security around ICOs. And, you know, it's sort of gone quiet. The discussions around ICOs has obviously subsided uh, significantly because of what happened. You know, a lot of people lost a lot of money in ICOs. And, you know, they, they wrote these white papers, you know, they copy and pasted other people's white papers and then they said they had an ICO running and people were investing in these ICOs and, as I said, lost a lot of money. So um, I'm surprised that Nathaniel, you know, said that, that there's going to be a return of that crowdfunding for ICOs. And then, you know, um, obviously there was a lot of other discussions. I think the majority of the discussions was actually about decentralized finance. We also had a panel on decentralized finance, a lot of very exciting speakers were on that panel, one of which was um, Mariana, Polish surname, so it's hard to pronounce it, but she was also talking about what they're doing at crypto.com, one of the biggest exchanges in the world and how they're building DeFi products. And then we had several other to uh, talks about decentralized finance. So once again, a very hot topic, something to look out for. Still very early days in DeFi, so expect a lot more products and um you know, solutions being built on that that on decentralized finance. Yeah, I, I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing some of these crypto exchanges actually go into the lending business. I, I don't know from a regulatory point of view when that will be allowable, but it's certainly on the way and the technology is there. I also listened into Nathaniel Luce uh, from Nigeria on his talk, and it was quite fascinating what they're doing with Dash Nigeria and quite a few other developers out of the Nigerian space as well. Uh, there was one presenter there who had created a product basically which was connecting people with crypto to informal traders. So you download this app onto your smartphone 
And, you know, you can go and shop anywhere, and he's building up a network of thousands and thousands of informal sector traders. It does show some of the very interesting use cases that are coming out of the blockchain technology. And um, there also seems to be quite a lot of peer-to-peer buying and selling of Bitcoin and other cryptos in Nigeria. And I, I just got the impression, I don't know if you agree, that Nigeria is probably going to be Africa's breakout country in terms of crypto adoption and innovation. What did you think? I definitely agree with that. You know, we've seen a lot coming out of Nigeria. And if you consider their population, you know, I think it's about 200 million people that live in Nigeria. I think there's a huge potential and it's already happening. And, you know, there's several studies that have shown that Nigeria is leading the pack in Africa. I think, you know, Chan Analysis had a global crypto adoption index report last year that came out. Firstly, they ranked crypto adoption in Africa as a continent second in P2P trading. So companies like Paxful and localbitcoins.com is doing very well with peer-to-peer training without using an exchange. But the two countries that came out of that index uh, study was Nigeria, obviously first, uh, with peer-to-peer volumes of between $5 million and $10 million. Um, and then Kenya and South Africa came second, and they average about $1 million to $2 million per week. So you're seeing these three countries, obviously, as leading the rest of the countries. There are other countries like Ghana um, that we're seeing as well. That's also quite interesting to watch. But Nigeria way ahead of the pack. Obviously, the population growth has got something to do that, with that. But um, I think it was estimated that about $400 million worth of cryptocurrency was traded last year in Nigeria. Now, that's a significant amount. So, yeah, I'm watching it very closely. And, you know, as you mentioned, we had a number of speakers at the Blockchain Africa conference from Nigeria. We had about five speakers, which is quite a lot if you compare it to our previous events that we've hosted. Um, So we're watching it very closely. There's some exciting developments. You know, we had the co-founder and CEO of Quidex uh, also come and talk, and they're also one of the largest exchanges in Nigeria. So, yeah, very exciting, definitely something to watch. And I think you know, there, there are many reasons for why that adoption in, in Nigeria is taking place. Uh, you know, obviously high inflation and, you know, exorbitant fees for sending money out of the country. And then also low foreign exchange reserves. You know, and these issues are also happening in South Africa, for example. So you're seeing these types of countries um, growing in crypto adoption because of the issues within those countries. So I don't see it stopping. I see it definitely becoming bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think we'll probably see a lot more coming out of Nigeria, but also South Africa and Kenya. The keynote speaker at the conference was Charles Hoskinson, who's the founder of Cardano. And that's a a company. It's also a cryptocurrency, which is nipping at the heel of Ethereum in a race to become the platform on which this new financial architecture is going to be built. Charles Hoskinson is a bit of a rock star in the crypto world, and it was quite a coup that you actually got him. How did that go down? What was the reaction to his talk? And what did he say that really struck you? Yeah, you know, Charles Hoskinson is super interesting. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned he's a rock star because I view him as a rock star. I mean, not many people know this and he doesn't advertise this very much. He is the co-founder of Ethereum, you know, and the second largest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin. And he left Ethereum, the Ethereum project, and he started Cardano. And Cardano is very, very interesting. It's considered to be a competitor to, to Ethereum. And I think it's something we need to watch very closely. But how his talk went down was very interesting at the conference. So he was the most viewed talk at our event. Unfortunately, it wasn't live. It was pre-recorded because of the time differences between us and Colorado, where he lives. 
But his talk was, you know, I'm just pulling up the stats here, and we had 3,000 people, just under 3,000 people watch his talk. Um, that was the most, obviously, by a mile of, of all the other talks. And I think, you know, we had over 5,700 people register for the Blockchain Africa. It's a record number of people. And that's largely contributed to Charles's talk. And I find it very interesting what he said. And, you know, if you also listen to the talk here and you'll hear that he's got a big focus on Africa. They're looking at Africa as a massive opportunity for growth for Cardano. And specifically, he's saying, you know, Africa is not poor. He feels it's not a poor continent. And the only real challenge is that um, the real wealth is inaccessible due to bad infrastructure and systems and governance. So he's looking at some ambitious projects with certain governments, and I think Rwanda, the government of Rwanda, is one. And in particular, they're looking at digital um, identities linked to wallets, uh, linked to payment systems, for example. So, you know, people can, you know, be included financially as well using their system. And, you know, basically he's saying that Africa is a very tech-savvy and young uh, continent, and, you know, they are most of their efforts are now targeting Africa. So we'll see where we are in a few weeks' time. I think it's still, you know, they still got a couple of announcements to make. And at the conference, I think a lot of people were expecting him to make an announcement about his project with one of the governments in Africa. I think that's coming out in a few days. If it hasn't already come out, I haven't read the latest news on Cardano. But I think because, you know, Cardano, Ethereum has taken very long to scale and to become you know, the smart contract sort of technology of choice because of the high fees currently on the Ethereum blockchain. So I think Ethereum is going to have a run for its money with Cardano, especially in Africa. Ethereum has a high adoption in Africa. A lot of people are using Ethereum for their products and their businesses and services. But I think we've got to watch Cardano very closely. So I'm very excited about it. And I think Charles's uh, talk was an amazing talk. He always speaks so well. He's he's very knowledgeable um, and obviously very clever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's definitely the highlight of the event for us. And we hopefully can get him in person to speak at our next event if COVID allows for it in March next year, our eighth annual conference. Hopefully we'll get him to speak then in person because we tried to get him last year to speak in person, but COVID hit. So he wasn't able to come to Africa. So, yeah, we're hoping that we'll have more of his involvement at our events in the future. Yeah, I think that would be great. People sometimes have a difficult time understanding how blockchain is going to change the world. And what we're talking about here is Cardano and Ethereum, which are really going to be the financial systems. And there's going to be maybe multiple winners. You know, Maybe they both succeed in different ways. And the currency on which these blockchains work is, you know, Cardano is a cryptocurrency. So is Ethereum. But the broader use of blockchain itself, I was talking to a developer yesterday who's working on blockchain, a system to streamline business processes in the insurance industry, essentially by replacing some of the steps in the insurance claim process with smart contracts. Now, at the moment, you've got to take out, if you take out an insurance contract on your car, you get paid out when it gets damaged. You need an assessor to come out and all sorts of intermediaries get involved in the process. So smart contracts are just pieces of software code that say when the car is damaged, the insurance claim will be paid provided certain conditions are met, such as, you know, they just want to make sure you didn't take a hammer to the car and damage it yourself. What else can we expect from blockchain technologies in the next few years that are really going to blow our minds and sort of change the way we do business and interact? 
Yeah, interesting question. So, I mean, I'm I'm very excited about stable coins. You know, um, we've seen the rise of stable coins over the last year or so, and particularly just recently, I think a few days ago, Visa announced that they are now settling transactions using a stable coin called the USD coin or USDC coin. Um, and that's using the Ethereum blockchain. Once again, Ethereum making headlines here because of their Visa um, connection. But this is really um, very interesting to me. And, you know, we'll see more of the rise of stable coins, particularly because of the, you know, the volatility is just not there with, with stable coins. So it's very easy to make payments with stable coins and move currency cross border using a stable coin because you're not affected by the volatility on either end. So, yeah, and it's also a big driver of the DeFi products, obviously, Kieran. So, you know, with the rise of decentralized finance, people are using stable coins more and more to drive those products and services. So stable coins, something to look out for, definitely going to grow. And, you know, with that also goes central bank digital currencies or, you know, CBDCs. We, we highlighted this a lot at the Blockchain Africa conference. We had panels and we had a masterclass on this. And, you know, one of the talks was about China leading the, the pack with its digital one. Um, and, you know, that's very exciting, you know, to watch that. And, you know, what the, the implications of CBDCs and are they using cryptocurrency technology for their CBDCs? So they will be issuing these currencies. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. Obviously, there's some concerns around that. But, you know, there are a lot of benefits of CBDCs. And we're going to be seeing that a lot more in future. I know um, one of the speakers mentioned that 80% of the central banks are working on these solutions globally already. It's 80% of them. So definitely something to watch is the CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. And then obviously, as you mentioned, you know, decentralized finance, very exciting. That's definitely going to grow. It's going to obviously require regulation to ensure that these products and services are uh, protect the consumers that it's easy to use these products currently, then, you know, they, they, the user interfaces are still a little bit technical. Your average person is not getting into DeFi necessarily because they don't really understand the space so well. So education around that and regulation is very important for that space to grow. It reminds me very much of, you know, the early days of computers, you know, when you're using DOS as your operating system. And if you didn't know a little bit about computer coding, you, you got lost out. You know, computers yeah. just sail past you. Or the yes, early days of the internet, you know, when it was all HTTP. This is exactly where we're standing in terms of um, the DeFi space, is that it's very clunky and it's very difficult to use. And I think the next evolution is just going to be to make that a little bit more accessible for the people on the street before you get this broad adoption. Do you reckon that's the phase that we're in right now? Very much. And in fact, we had one of our speakers on our um, panel on DeFi talk about the fact that he thinks DeFi is only where the internet was in 1992 or 1993. You know, very, very early days, very exciting, but there are issues there. If you look at, um, you know, the DeFi spaces, I think it's grown from about $2.2 billion in, you know, early last year to currently, um, you know, I think it's about $68 billion or 1 trillion rand um, today. No, that's that's a tremendous growth. That's about 30,000% growth in about a year. Um, that's incredible. So, you know, watch the space, get involved. But, yeah, it needs to become easier to use. The, you know, these companies are working on the solutions. And I think DeFi, if you compare it to the ICOs in 2017, it's, it's much easier than the ICOs to get involved in DeFi right now. They are working on easier solutions 
you know, ICOs was also very technical to get in, very complicated, not much education around that. So I think DeFi is going quickly and it's um, definitely going to be easier to use in the future. And I think just to also add to the other exciting things, I think enterprise blockchain, you know, we've talked about this a lot at our conferences in the past, not so much at this year's conference, but, you know, the IBM and the SAP and the Hyperledger solutions and JP Morgan and Corda and multi-chain solutions, those are very exciting solutions for enterprise blockchains. And it's kind of been under the radar a little bit, um, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that as these big um, institutions or software development firms get into the blockchain space. I think one of the things that is going to be useful that people might be able to understand a little bit is like, how do you identify fake news? You know, there's so much of the stuff that goes around on mm. social media. Mm. Is it true? And I'm not talking about the fact-checking side. It's like, you know, well, what is the original source material for this? The blockchain can be used for that, you know, because you can track the, the flow of information. That's just one use yeah. case. Um, I, I think the other thing is it can be used. I thought you, used, you said the word Interpol. Did you say Interpol? No. Okay. Well, uh, well, it just uh, it no. just it just occurred to me that uh, you know, in sort of keeping track of you know international criminals and that kind of thing, um, and money laundering and all this sort of thing, because what is the blockchain but a very detailed ledger? So you'd be able to track all of these kind of things in real time anywhere around the world. That's the the, the real benefit that's going to come out of this technology, quite apart from the business use cases that we've been talking about. Yes, very much. And, you know, if we put the business use cases aside, there's also a lot of government use cases. You know, we've seen countries like Dubai becoming a smart city using blockchain technology. Very exciting. And I heard that, you know, countries like Senegal, for example, uh, Acoin City is also looking at, you know, becoming a smart city. You know, they're looking at identity. We've been talking about identity blockchain use case for a long time now. Uh, but that is definitely an exciting one. And then health and supply chain management and all those sort of uh, use cases that governments can be using. And like you mentioned, you know, even corruption or tracking of criminals and all that, they, you know, there are many use cases that we're not even touching right now. So I'm seeing that as probably is one of the interesting ones to look out in the future. But, you know, all of this, Kieran, depends on regulation. And, you know, it's imperative that we get regulation that South Africa, particularly South Africa where, you know, I'm based, um, you know, has a framework to work against so that we can build these solutions without the fear of um, being shut down or, you know, like crypto exchanges being shut down, for example, now recently in Nigeria and their banking, um, you know, the banks couldn't, op couldn't allow them to do crypto payments through their, their banking accounts. Now that really stifles the, this innovation. So all of this really depending on what governments, the global uh, regulation looks like in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we discussed that on the podcast uh, just a couple of days ago about how governments are failing. If they're trying to control Bitcoin and they're trying to regulate it out of existence, it is failing miserably and it will fail in the future because this is really like trying to stop a dam with your hand. The Bitcoin <laughs> just finds a way around it, you know. And Nigeria um, is a good case in point in, in, in that particular instance. I noticed also that you had Dan Held. Dan Held is the growth lead at Kraken, which is one of the largest exchanges in the world. You had him on the conference. He's an interesting guy. Uh, one of his thesis, and I've actually got him coming on the podcast next week, he talks about Bitcoin being in a super cycle. Um, yes. What does that actually mean? Because people say, you know, this thing has gone up so hard and so fast. It just defies any kind of logic. What the hell is going on here? 
And he says, you don't begin to understand this un- un- until you start to look at it as a super cycle. It's such a revolutionary change in our world, in our understanding of what is a network and what is value in a network, that we are actually in the middle of a, of a super cycle that is not over yet. Now, that's quite yes. a fascinating viewpoint, you know, because I think economists are sometimes having trouble, you know, grasping what is this, this Bitcoin thing? How can it be worth $60,000 when, you know, you, you had to pay like 10000 of them 10 years ago to buy a pizza? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yes, I think that's interesting because, you know, I watched that part of the, the talk with um, the host, Peter McCormack, and they, they're good friends as well. Um, and the question really was, um, you know, when is this bull run that we're currently in going to top out? Um and, you know, there's some wild predictions out there. And Dan Hull, you know, mentioned that these predictions are quite high. You know, people are saying anything, you know, even over $250,000 by the end of the year. Now, you know, and, and what Dan also said was there's so many differences compared to the 2017 bull run that we were in to this one. And, you know, they're really talking about maturity of infrastructure and that, you know, the, the impression out there is that the industry is now safer. You know, it's not the Wild West anymore like it was in 2017 with the IPOs. And we're getting more and more regulatory clarity in many jurisdictions as well, which contributing to all of this um, sort of uh, excitement about where the price is going. And also, I think what, what Peter and Dan said is that they're no longer, you know, explaining what Bitcoin is anymore. You know, now the conversations, I remember also three years ago, people were always asking, what is Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? That's not changed. It's more like, how can we buy Bitcoin? How can we get involved in Bitcoin? So we're seeing this maturity of the industry. And, you know, we're in a bull run now. It's, it seems like it's a super cycle bull run that, you know, it's not topping out anytime soon. It's still going to continue for, until the end of the year. Obviously, there are going to be dips and, you know, we'll see some corrections. We've had corrections in Bitcoin of, you know, up to 80, 90%. Uh, you know, when COVID hit last year in March, you know, the price of Bitcoin was under $4,000. So anything can happen. No one knows the answer. Anyone who tells you they know exactly where Bitcoin's headed, um, you know, I would be skeptical of that. But I think these theories of a super cycle is interesting and definitely um, probable. Um, and that, you know, because of the differences that we're facing from previous bull runs, this could really be a significant bull run. And, um yeah, I mean, I'm excited because I obviously have been in the Bitcoin space for some time. So hopefully it works out and that it does go to these astronomical highs. Okay, a final question. People who want to log on to some of these talks that happen at the conference, where can they go? So please go to our website, which is blockchainafrica.co, not .co.za, just .co. So it's blockchainafrica.co. They are all on our YouTube channel. So please uh, you know, find our YouTube channel from our website and you can view, I think there's 32 recorded sessions that we have there. So a lot of content and they're all available on the YouTube, Bitcoin Events YouTube channel. Yeah, I think if you want to really understand what is happening in this world of finance and how fast it is changing, go on there and just, you know, feast yourself over this long weekend that's coming up and just really absorb some of the information that comes out of that. Now, what about the next conference? When is that coming up? So we've got another two planned for this year, Kieran. Um, we've got on the 5th of August this year, our second DeFi conference, which was extremely popular. We had our first one last year on the 5th of August. So obviously there's going, that's going to be very interesting because of the interest in DeFi. That's a purely online conference on the 5th of August. And then our 
third crypto fest. We're aiming to host it in Cape Town. Um, you know, we've been quite ambitious with that. We might have to change and make it a fully online event. We're going to be watching COVID developments closely. That's on the 30th of October, hopefully in Cape Town. If not in Cape Town, we will host it online. Once again, focus on very much on cryptocurrencies, not so much on the blockchain technology space. And then obviously we've already set the date for our eighth annual Blockchain Africa conference. That's always in March and next year is no different. It's going to be on the 17th and 18th of March. And once again, hopefully we do it in Johannesburg like we always host it. And, you know, people can network and meet each other. One of the highlights of those Blockchain Africa events is actually the networking that takes place and the many people that fly from all over the world to attend. Sure thing. We're going to leave it there, Sonia. That was Sonia Colonel, who is the organizer of the Blockchain Africa Conference. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Kieran, for having me. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.